Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. Cheryl Atkinson has a hit new book. It's called Stonewalled, getting a lot of attention. My fight for truth against the forces of obstruction, intimidation, and harassment in Obama's Washington. She's the recipient of five Emmy Awards. You know her work from the CBS Evening News, the CBS Morning Show, CBS This Morning, 48 Hours, etc., etc. She's in the on-deck circle and in anticipation of her appearance. I want to just go back in time and remind you of a particular event that will resonate with POTUS listeners. I should first first say that the Benghazi attack, how could we forget, was 9-11 of 12 And then the second debate between President Obama and Governor Romney was a month or so later. It was October 16 of 2012. Candy Crawley from CNN was the moderator, and there was this exchange. Governor, if you want to reply just quickly to this, please. I I think it's interesting. The president just said something, which, which is that on the day after the attack, he went to the Rose Garden and said that this was an act of terror. You said in the Rose Garden, the day after the attack, it was an act of terror. It was not a spontaneous demonstration. Is that what you're saying? Please proceed, Governor. 
I, I, I want to make sure we get that for the record, because it took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi an act of terror. Get the transcript. It, 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 he did, in, in fact, sir. So let me let me call it an act of Can terror. Can you say that a little louder, Candy? <laughs> He did call it an act of terror. It did as well take it did as well uh, take uh, two weeks or so uh, for the whole idea of there being a riot out there about this tape uh, to come out. You're correct this, about that. The administration, the administration indicated that this was a, a reaction to a, to a video and was a spontaneous reaction. It, did. it took them a long time to say this was a terrorist act by a terrorist group. It was a defining moment in that second debate. This is Cheryl Atkinson to talk to us more about it. Hey, Cheryl, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. There's a chapter at the end of your book that goes into this in great detail and, and told me things that, that I didn't know or didn't remember about how the events unfolded. So in the debate, we just heard it. Candy Crawley says, well, actually, Governor, he did say that. What, what's what's the real record in terms of what he did say as, as you interpret it. I have the transcript in front of me as per your book. Well, at the time, I hadn't looked into that, but I had received, as I say in the book, an interesting phone call a couple days before the debate from a White House official who brought up out of the blue that the president had called Benghazi a terrorist attack the very next day in the Rose Garden. I didn't know whether that was the case or not. I hadn't covered that angle. I just thought it was kind of strange that came up out of the blue and made a mental note. When it was raised at the debate, I thought, that's that's strange. Now that point's coming up again. And Romney looked so shocked, and the president looked so anxious to move on, I thought, I'm going to go look at the Rose Garden speech. So I went and took a look. And my view is he did say he did invoke terrorism, but only when he segued to this being the anniversary of the terrorist attacks from 9-11-01, when he spoke specifically of Benghazi, it seemed to me he, like Carney and Hillary Clinton, used every synonym in the dictionary for attackers other than the word terrorism. That was my read. I wasn't reporting on it that, at that time, but it became very a very critical question later on, as I describe in the book. No acts of terror will ever shake the resolve of this great nation, alter that character, or eclipse the light of the values that we stand for. So within a light best toward Obama's interest, that's what he was referring to, right? That's what the White House was, was saying. I think I think what you said is correct. He was talking about, after discussing Benghazi, segueing into the anniversary, and yes, he talked about that as an act of terror. And the media, uh, clearly the media thereafter, came down on the president's side. I think many of the media did. At least I sensed that at my own network when I wasn't covering that particular angle of the story. I overheard discussions. Um, I sense that they wanted to sort of put this to rest in a way that reflect, reflected positively on President Obama. And, you know, quite frankly, at the time, it seemed a fair enough interpretation that was open to some debate and, you know, not really in my business until the time came when I was reporting on a story not really related to that issue, but they had me in New York use a soundbite from an interview that I didn't know had existed, from an interview that we hadn't aired pieces of with the president the next day in the Rose Garden, during which he, as it turns out, we didn't know at the time, acknowledged he was avoiding use of the word terrorism, which would seem in retrospect to have proven Romney right during the debate. In but other words, let me help you with this. So yeah. the day after September 11's Benghazi attack, Steve Croft, and apparently this was prearranged rather than being in response to Benghazi, but Steve Croft had an interview scheduled with the president, which did proceed, portions of which aired thereafter. Fairly said? That's right. 
And then the Friday before the election, you get a tip about the Steve Croft interview. Yes, um, there had been some discussion about this in CBS as the question of whether what it was called and how important that was became an issue. Apparently, there were some dissenters, including some inside 60 Minutes, who knew that this portion of the interview with Croft existed that we hadn't used. In fact, we had been directed to use a different portion of the interview, in my view, out of context in a misleading way once I learned what the interview really said. And when a colleague read to me portions of the actual transcript, we both knew immediately what some other people had been saying and discussing, that this was really incendiary material, that this bite should have been used back when this made news after the Romney debate, and it wasn't. We had, we had basically sat on it. It's not until the weekend before the November presidential election that I learned something that would shake any remaining faith I had in the New York fishbowl. It's Friday afternoon. A colleague calls... You know that interview 60 Minutes did with Obama in the Rose Garden on September 12th? The colleague says, yes, I answer. Why? I just got a transcript of the entire interview. From who? I can't say. By the way, thank God for satellite radio. But holy shit. <laughs> what is it, I ask? Holy shit. The colleague proceeds to read to me from the transcript. It's undeniably clear to both of us. We instantly know that the interview that had been kept under such a tight wrap for nearly eight weeks, is explosive. The first comment Croft made and the president's response, well, let me play it. Mr. President, this morning uh, you went out of your way to avoid the use of the word terrorism in connection right. with the Libya attack. Right. Do you believe that this was a, a terrorist attack? Well, it's too early to know uh, exactly how this came about, what group uh, was involved, but obviously uh, it was an attack on Americans. And we are going to be working. So here's the big picture, because I I hope I'm not presenting this in too confusing of a manner. But I thought this was a very interesting insight from Cheryl's book. There was great debate. I think we all will now remember about was the president underplaying the use of the word terror with regard to Benghazi in the immediate aftermath. Steve Croft, the day after Benghazi, asked him specifically why he'd gone out of his way to avoid the use of the term terrorism. But that didn't air. Now, Cheryl, why didn't it air? Well, in my view, the those who dictated the use of a different part of this interview out of context were doing something that made the president look as though he were correct rather than incorrect. And I can only conclude they were trying to somehow protect or defend the president's interests. Let me be clear. I think the president, when he said it was too early to know and so on, that could be debated, but I think it was a fair enough answer at the time. That's not the issue. But the issue that much later the administration and reporters tried to portray as though he had definitively said this was an act of terrorism, when clearly he agreed with Steve Croft that he had, he had done the opposite, uh, that, that would have made, should have made news after the Romney debate. Yeah, in other words, you would think, you would think that on the morning, of, the morning of October 17, after the debate, the second debate, the Candy Crawley debate, that someone would have said, my God, run to the archives. We've got a great follow-up. For whatever reason, that piece didn't air in the initial Croft broadcast, but you would think CBS would now want to get it out and own that story. Right, and apparently there were people, from what I'm told, within CBS who thought the same thing. Um, I'm also told 60 Minutes sent the transcript over again to Evening News as if to say, as told to me by a colleague, remember you have this sound, this is important. And, you know, what, what concerns me most 
we're trying to build viewers, serve the public, provide information, and the idea that there would be people at CBS who would be so entrenched in, I guess, their personal ideological battles that they would do something counter to the best interest of their own broadcast and the viewers to, I guess, protect something they believe in. I think that's a very disturbing specter. Here's the question that this portion of your book, and there's obviously a lot a lot more to Stonewall, but this is the question that was remaining because if you addressed it, I didn't see it. What about Steve Croft? What was his reaction to this? I would think that if I'm Steve Croft, I'm saying, I've, I've, I've got this, you know, this story by the, you know what, look what I have. I don't have insight on that, but I'll just tell you from working at CBS, that soundbite would not have been considered a 60-minute story. It would have been considered something to be handed over to the Daily News folks at Evening News, which it was, for them to air in an Evening News piece. That's how it would have been handled. So this would not have been a, a 60 minutes expose. It would have been a quick soundbite. And I can only assume from what I heard that perhaps the 60 minutes folks who were sending that transcript back over to Evening News perhaps were some people from his team. I don't know that to be the case. I don't know who Did you ever ask Steve exactly. Croft whether he protested knowing that he had this and it wasn't being aired? No, I haven't seen him since that time. I don't, I, you know, don't know him well. He's in New York. I was in D.C. and we know we never spoke of it. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive. Then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off.
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. So this is one vignette from a from a book that is nearly 400 pages long. What's the big picture for those who've not yet read it? I'm concerned that there are increasing influences over the images that the public sees every day, not just in the news media with story selection, but also through social media tactics that are used, uh, bloggers, letters to the editor. There are sophisticated paid efforts that are making sure, in many cases, the public sees information that those paid interests want them to see rather than the information as it's actually occurring. And I think sometimes the press is too timid about following its own leads and and more apt to sort of copy, uh, follow other leads, shy away from controversial stories. And I I do think that's hurting, you know, the, the greater body of journalism. I'm worried about the evisceration of newsrooms across the country. I think that there's a perception that we have more journalists today than we've ever had because every blogger who has a pair of pajamas with feet in them and access to the Internet can fashion themselves as a journalist. But as these newspapers have have been pared down across the country, that's really where so much of the local investigative reporting used to come from, and it's non-existent now. Agreed. And and one thing, this this tendency to sort of for kind of mainstream news organizations to copy from some of the bloggers and so on that you talk about, some of which have paid interest behind them, is a little shocking. And in advance of the book, of course, there was a giant campaign against it. And some sort of quasi-media outlets repeated without attribution or without pointing out that these are left-wing propaganda groups or so on. They repeated information that was wholly false. A couple of them came out shortly thereafter and issued some corrections or retractions type materials. Some of them probably won't bother, but I think it's very risky to just pick up the stuff you read on these uh, outlets that have popped up. Not that they don't serve a function, Uh, But I just don't think it's necessarily news and we should be gathering our own facts rather than just sort of copying, repeating things the way the way some of us do. There's a discussion in the book. I'm thumbing through it and I can't find it, but I I put it in the category. This will date me of of Macy's and Gimbel's. I don't know if either of them is still in business, but (laughs) if it's in one window, then the other wants to be selling it. And you talk about how. I think you said, you know, that the top 10 news stories at any one particular time, everybody is doing them. And the further that I get into the television world and the more that I have interactions with executives who and programmers who all have multiple flat screens in their office, you know, I say, well, this is the origin of where that comes from, because they're all keeping an eye on the competitor. And if the competitor is doing it, then they feel obligated to do it. And then we end up getting served a very narrow spectrum of news stories. I agree with you exactly. I've always thought this phenomenon of watching the other broadcasts as we do when the news starts, and instead of saying, thank goodness we had an original lead, 
so many times we watch the others and say, man, they all led with X. I know, I knew we should have, as if they made a bad decision. Right. And I'm thinking, why would anybody watch us over anybody else if we're all carrying roughly the same broadcast and the same 10 stories night after night, more often than not? Doesn't it all come out in the wash? Doesn't it all, in the end, uh, uh, even itself out? What do you mean? Well, I mean that there are so many different uh, news sources. There's satellite radio. There's the AM/FM band. There's the internet. There are cable stations. Doesn't the truth, whatever that might be, eventually rise to the uh, the top? I per- perhaps there's a way to get at it, but I I know people are tired and frustrated of maybe there's figuring out the new paradigm. They really would like to, liberals, conservatives, and those who aren't political, be able to go to a news source and just kind of believe what it says versus knocking 20% off the top because it's Fox News and maybe it's favoring Republicans or knocking 20% off because it's MSNBC and they figure maybe it's favoring Democrats. I, I think there's a great appetite out there for people who would just like to see the news. And if it does criticize one one person or another or one party or another, they would like to trust that's just because that's what the facts show. And I'm not sure we'll ever get back to that or how close to that we we ever were, but I I think it's a worthy goal. I just don't know if it's possible. I'm politically agnostic, motivated by the desire to solve puzzles and uncover public information that the government, corporations, and others in positions of authority are trying to keep from you. You know that your critics say, no, she's an ideologue, and much of, of her best work, admittedly, has been in taking down Democrats. And to that, you'd respond how? That they're selecting pieces. They're, they're failing to include parts that don't fit their narrative. For example, my Emmy investigative award from last year that examined Republican freshman fundraising undercover and looked at the hypocrisy of those who said they were going to change Washington as we knew it. Um, the Emmy award I won for investigating Bush administration's bait and switch on TARP For example, the seven-minute segment Rachel Maddow on MSNBC devoted to my investigative reporting on Republican Stephen Booyer and his suspicious charity, after which he resigned from Congress. Um, You know, there's just so much reporting and evidence to the contrary, but there is a concerted effort, and I think they know better, but there's a concerted effort to portray me um, on one side of the aisle so that they can controversialize and discredit the reporting because it hits too close to home. And I understand that. That's what I think is going on. Before you leave me, and the book is called Stonewalled by Cheryl Atkinson, give my audience a little insight into the, the presumed eavesdropping that you've been subject to as you've gone about your investigative reporting. Well, by happenstance, and largely because of a bunch of symptoms I and people noticed happening in my house, whether or not ultimately related to the intrusions that happened, I was able to have some inside very good sources who said that the government was overstepping its bounds on surveilling private citizens, inspect my computer systems. So now, you know, all these, what's been a year and a half, two years later, we've had three computer forensics exams that have all confirmed highly sophisticated remote intrusions into both my uh, CBS laptop computer when I was at home and my personal Apple computer that I worked on at home. Um, kind of frightening and chilling. There's a lot of detail in the book, a lot of specifics um, that I tried to give a flavor of the sorts of things that they were able to do with the technology they had. And that's what's discussed. Do you think you know who was responsible for it? There was a part of the book where you said that a name was given to you and that it was a recognizable name? Yeah, I do think I know. And, and is it an individual working in one of those alphabets of, of national intelligence? 
I don't blame you for asking, but right now I'm just going only so far in discussing it further because we're in the progress of the investigation and uh, the legal options. So I, I am taking advice from my lawyer, but I tried to be sure to put enough information in the book that it should satisfy a lot of people's curiosity and answer many questions about uh, the things they've been asking with these computer intrusions in the last year or so. Is it still a live investigation as far as you know? Yes. We've, um, we've received new information uh, my, one of my computer forensics technicians in the last couple of weeks. So it's very much active. Cheryl Atkinson, thank you so much. The book is called Stonewalled. Thank you for having me, Michael. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.